morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to Inside the Writer's Studio, the podcast where we talk with writers about their lives, their craft, their business, and their latest work. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and our podcast is sponsored by Bookmarks. Bookmarks is a literary nonprofit whose programs include the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas. Come visit Bookmarks at our community gathering space and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Inside the Writer Studio is also proud to be an affiliate of Libro FM, the audiobook platform that supports your local independent bookstore. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast for more information on Libro FM and a special offer. My guest today is Megan Miranda, who will be joining me in Winston-Salem at the Bookmarks Festival of Books and Authors on September 23rd to talk about her novel, The Only Survivors. Megan, welcome to Inside the Writer Studio. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to talk about our industry a little bit for a minute. We have, like a lot of industries, we have our sort of our big influencers, our our people who are kind of helping people decide what to read. They're podcasters, they're TikTokers, they're celebrities. Um, you were chosen for the Reese Witherspoon book club. Talk a little bit about how people like her have shaped the publishing industry. Yeah, um, it was such an incredible experience and a huge surprise uh, as well. Um, I've been, you know, a longtime follower of her book club as well as a lot of other ones as well. I feel like um, there are a way that the, you know, they use their platform in this incredible way where people who may not be familiar with your type of book or gravitate towards your type of book, suddenly it's put in front of them as a possibility. And I feel like they're picks that a lot of book clubs talk about um, and it you know grows the audience in really incredible ways and connects you with different readers and readerships. Um, so it's been, you know, I'm someone who follows because I feel like as a thriller writer, I gravitate towards thrillers for the most part. And, you know, following the Reese Witherspoon Book Club and Jenna Bush and Good Morning America um, and Oprah, you are presented with many different types of books um, that, you know, maybe I'm not aware of. And it breaks me outside of my comfort zone. Um, so it was really an incredible experience, both as being chosen and as a reader as well. And do you think they're in addition to like those of us who are um, habitual readers, for better word, uh, who, like you said, they may be introducing us to authors that we don't know. Do you think they're bringing new readers in as well who maybe aren't used to, to reading, but then they see a celebrity say, you know, it's worth your time to read this book? Yeah, I do think so. And I, I think it's broadening um, the types of books maybe that, um, you know, maybe you see your first one from one of these book clubs and then you follow and are introduced to historical fiction or nonfiction and different types of books. So I do. I think it's really broadened readership in general. Yeah, yeah. Now you have, if I'm correct, you have a group of a fairly close writer friends who who support each other, who inspire each other. Talk a little bit about about that group and how that has become a part of your career and your writing process. Yeah, I'm very fortunate that um, I have several groups of writer friends that I have known for um, over a decade, and I think we we kind of started around the same time. Um, 
my first books were YA. Um, and I met two other writers. We had the same agent um, and we were both, we were all starting at the same point. Um, didn't really know other people in the industry and didn't have like other critique partners. And we met and started reading for each other and brainstorming. And they became, you know, several of my closest friends to this day. We get together several times a year. We don't only read for each other, but we just kind of will sit around chatting about ideas and brainstorming. Um, um, and, you know, they're also my favorite, two of my favorite people to like read. I just love their writing as well. Um, and in addition, that's Ashley Elston and El Casamano. And now we all also write adult thrillers. And I also have a very uh, wonderful group of um, writers in the North Carolina region that I've known for the same time. And we try to get together a couple of times a year as well um, and just talk about industry things and writing things and especially when, when you write, you know, writing is oftentimes very solitary. Um, getting to get together with other people in the same industry is always so fun. And one of the things I love about festivals too. Yeah, it's one of the things we like the most about, about bookmarks, both the festival and just what goes on in general. And um, I, my listeners can't see this, but the room I'm sitting in right now, hopefully you'll be here soon because we'll have the author's dinner here at the house. And that's a great time for exactly what you were saying, just to, to break out of that solitude of writing and, and spend some time with people who are doing the same thing. You mentioned that you started out as a young adult writer um, and now you're writing books for not maybe not so young adults. Um, but tell us a little bit about how how does your knowledge or your expectation of who your audience is affect the way that you're writing? That's a really good question. And to be honest, I'm not sure if it really affects the way I'm writing um, in a conscious way. Um, because when I was writing YA and wrote my first adult book, I wasn't thinking to myself, okay, now I'm going to shift what I'm doing and write a different type of book for a different type of audience. It was more that the story idea I came up with felt more suited to a character who had this element of hindsight and was looking back at something that had happened in their past. And it was really just about filtering the story through a different perspective. Um, and as a YA writer, I was also a big YA reader, um, and I know that there is a lot of crossover audience. So the thing that I try to really stay true to above all is just the character and the story they're telling and the perspective. But I don't think the way I approach it is necessarily that different. I write first person, and so it's really just about, in the young adult headspace, that that feeling of immediacy and maybe experiencing things for the first time, figuring out your place in the world versus filtering these things through maybe decades of lived experience that have um, colored the way that this narrator is presenting the story. But I don't think there's that much difference, honestly, between what I write in YA and adult other than the main character. And do you, you know you talked about audience crossover? Do you have you had um, interactions with readers who are who came to you as young adult readers, but who are also now reading your your adult fiction? Do you have that kind of crossover? I have, yes. Um, I've I've heard from people who discovered my books in high school when I was writing YA, who are now um, adults reading my adult fiction, and I have people I've 
seen the other as well, where people have discovered my adult books, see that I've also written YA in the past, and I've gone back um, and read some of those as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk about the the uh, latest novel, The Only Survivors. Tell us, you know, it's always tricky talking about thrillers because we don't yeah. want to spoil things for, for the readers, but, but tell us a little bit about this novel and especially the sort of the situation at the beginning of it, the setup. Yes, I, I totally agree. It's always hard. Like, how much can I tell before yeah. you're like, dun, dun, dun. Um, so The Only Survivors is about a group of former classmates who were the sole survivors of a tragic accident that happened about a decade earlier. When they were seniors in high school, they were on a class service trip um, and the vans that they were riding um, went over the edge of the road in the Tennessee mountains and they crashed into a ravine with a raging river during a storm. And they were trapped there for about seven hours. And by the time they made it out, there were only nine survivors remaining. After this event, they made a pact that they were going to come together every year around the time of this anniversary in order to check in on one another, keep each other safe, so they claim. And they get together at this house in the Outer Banks, which is supposed to be this place of solitude and safety for them. And the book begins on the 10-year anniversary. Um, And now at this point of the original nine survivors, there are only seven remaining. And another has just gone missing on the first day of the retreat. So uh, yeah, Um, you mentioned it's set in the in the Outer Banks, um, which, of course, is here in North Carolina. You and I both live in North Carolina. Um, can, Can you talk about just sort of not necessarily with reference to this novel, but just just in general, the importance of setting and what how do you choose a particular setting um, and in particular, also, how do you use our wonderful home state and all the different settings that it offers us? Yeah, I love settings. I love talking about setting. And especially, I think every genre setting is so important. But I think, you know, with thrillers, you can really dig into the atmosphere um, to make it like a character that's a little bit creepy on its own as well. Um, I always approach every setting that this could be the most beautiful place in the world or the most terrifying. Mm. Um, And the only thing that changes is your frame of reference in that point. And most of the characters in any of my books are either living in a place or going to a place because they love it. And it is a place of safety or a place that they feel secure, whether that is a house in the middle of the woods alone or, you know, a bustling neighborhood or the mountains. And in this case, they choose this house in the Outer Banks because it is so far from the site of their past trauma, which was in the Tennessee mountains. So for them, this is a place that no one can reach them. They are cut off from the rest of the world. It's just them and they're safe. And I love the Outer Banks. It's absolutely stunning. Um, You know, I love that you can see the sunrise and the sunset and there's kind of water surrounding you on all sides. And yet, When things turn creepy or things start to go wrong, it's also the type of place where those same elements can almost turn against you because in a storm, it is a very isolated place and it is difficult to get out. There's sort of one main way in, one main way out. Um, And now all of these kind of elements of isolation can turn against them because now they're not necessarily safe somewhere, they're trapped somewhere. Um, And 
there is a storm that approaches while they are there and, you know, it's just them and they don't know whether they can trust one another. So I, I always approach things that way. I love the settings of North Carolina. Um, I didn't grow up here, but I've lived here for two decades now. And I feel like during that time, I, there's always a new place to explore. It's, there's just so much that North Carolina has to offer between the mountains and the woods and the oceans and everything in between. And my editor always jokes that I'm either setting a book near the water or in the woods. Um, <laughs> and I go back and forth every time. And my next book is like, by the water in the woods. I just, I feel like there's so much that you can do with that. It's a type of like nature as a setting and having it's a mind of its own as a character. Um, it's very powerful and you can use it in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I do love the fact that you know, they had this very traumatic experience that was very much about water. Right. Uh, that was, and then they choose to go to this place of safety that is, as you said, completely surrounded by water. So right. there's a yes. great irony there. Um, now, the house itself that they go to is this house called the Shallows, and and the Shallows itself is a survivor in many ways. Um, tell us about how the house reflects so much of what is happening in the novel. As you write, the Shallows was not a place that kept secrets. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, this, this house, the backstory is that it had been owned by one of their survivors, um, families, and it was a rental that's been in this house for potentially generations. And at the start of the book, you realize like this house has withstood hurricanes. This house has, it's, you know, one of those that's raised up, um, but the, the ocean is right there. And yet, Somehow it survived, um, but you can see all of the traumas kind of on the surface. Um, it's also a place where, you know, there are seven people staying in this house and you hear everything. You can hear someone walking above you. You hear doors opening and closing and water running in the pipes. Um, you hear people like walking on the deck. And there's, you know, I think the beauty of a lot of these homes on the beach is they have these big windows and you can see out and you can see straight to the ocean. And yet at night, all the lights are on and whoever's out there is watching back instead. And so there's this idea that you're looking out at things, but then in another situation, everything kind of, you're you're almost in a fishbowl as well. Yeah. Now there, as you said, there are seven characters who experienced this accident 10 years ago. Uh, who come together at this house, but you had to pick one of them to be the main character in the novel. Why Why did you pick Cass? Why did you pick her as the primary character through whom we are going to see so much of this novel and whose story we are really the most closely connected to? Yeah, so I usually, when I start, I have like a main character in mind, and that was definitely the case with this book. Cassidy was the voice I heard first and started writing immediately from her point of view. And I think I'm always drawn to someone who's a little bit straddling a world, um, whether they're part insider, part outsider, feel like they don't quite fit in. I feel like it's very interesting to explore that character, but also it's a way in for the readers. 
um, because she is kind of on the outside of this group and she considers herself probably the most unlikely survivor. Um, this was not a group of friends uh, who were on this trip together. Everyone was on this trip for a different reason. Um, some of them were friends. Some of them were dating. Some of them just needed service hours to graduate. Some of them were part of this volunteer trip. So they're very different personalities. And Cassidy really was not friends with any of them before the accident and yet has found herself bound to this group of people for better or worse. Um, and they've all become very different people because of this tragedy that's happened in their past. It's really shaped the people they've become. But she's able to see both the before and the after um, and tell the reader a little bit about who each character was before in the past and who they've become now. But they really only see each other once a year. And so you're only really seeing the version that they're presenting this one week a year um, to one another. But Cassidy, for me, she's always been a little bit on the outskirts, feels like she's not always noticed, and therefore is a very keen observer of everyone else. Yeah, yeah. And now we could ask this question of of any of these seven characters or of all of them. But for now, let's let's stick with Cass because you kind of hinted at it a little bit. But how how did the, the accident, the trauma of 10 years ago shape not just the facts of her life, but how did it shape her her personality, her character, her identity as to go through that trauma at at such a formative time of life, you know, right before you're starting to become independent, finishing high school, heading, heading out into the world. How, how does it shape her as a person? Yeah, that's a great question. And it was basically the the question I went into this book with. It's, mm. it's sort of the theme I was really interested in, in a lot of my books, like how the past impacts the present. But in this one, in particular, it was the same event happens to the same seven group of people. And yet everyone is going to have a completely different reaction to it um, based on the choices they might have made or the person they were um, and how it kind of branches out from there. So some of the people choose to stay very close to the site of where this happened and are not really able to move past it. Um, some of them try to leave it entirely behind and, and don't talk about it with the rest of their lives. Um, and Cassidy is one of those where the people in her life in the present don't really know this about her. Um, and so they kind of see her personality as like they think they're just quirks of her personality, not that they stem from this trauma that has happened to her. Um, she is a, a big like planner and, and really tries to see everything in the before that can lead to everything in the after and is really focused on like the details and keeping track of things. And it's kind of influenced um, the career she's gone into using those as strengths a little bit, like she's, you know, a, an event planner. Um, but it also is something that anytime she's with this group of people, she is brought right back into it and feels like she cannot quite move on with her life because of this pact that they have made. Um, but it's it's the one thing that has really impacted them in very deep ways because um, they didn't all survive and they all went through the same thing, but they had different perspectives of that night. Yeah, and one of the things I, I found interesting about Cassidy is almost the first thing we learn about her is she's not honest with her partner right. about why she's going out of town. Yeah, she, yeah. She, she said, I'm going on a business trip, last minute business trip. and. 
so so when the first thing you I think as a reader when the first thing you see uh, a character do is something dishonest then it then you had this sort of question in your head all the time about that character can you can you address that just a little bit yeah um you know this this idea of unreliability is something I'm really fascinated with as well because I think when you read thrillers a lot of times we think unreliability is just that the the character is lying to the reader in some way, but there's so many ways you can do unreliability, whether they're lying to themselves or they're not remembering everything or they don't have every piece of information. And so they they have a a wrong interpretation of what they're seeing. Um, and she is unreliable in her daily life. She's not trying to be unreliable to the reader, but she is to the people around her because she has crafted her life around a lie that this did not happen to her. And she's kind of taken it out of her past and has tried to present herself as somebody completely different, but it gets her caught up because she knows immediately that this relationship is already like, well, I just told the first lie. Like, and now it's a series of lies that she's going to have to tell anytime he calls during the week um, that she has to sort of make up excuses. So I don't think she intends, like she's not saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this deceitfully um, because I'm a deceitful person, but more of a, I'm trying to protect myself. Yeah. And one of the other things we see her doing in, you know, mentally early in the novel is she has this habit of listing reasons why somebody would be worth saving if, if something went wrong and she had to pick somebody to save. Yeah. Um, can, can you tell us about that, um, that aspect of her character and, and also about why that was one of the things you wanted to introduce really right up front. There's some things we don't find about her until later, but that one we learned just in the in the first few pages. Yeah. So that's probably when you were asking, like, how did this impact her life? That's probably the biggest thing that she cannot be in a room or whether it's a room of people she knows or like a bus full of strangers without thinking to herself, if there were a disaster right now, who would I save? Um, and it's something that she just cannot escape. It's it's a very strong, um, it has a very strong hold on her. Um, and for me, it was also a way to introduce the other characters um, because there are a lot of characters in this book. And um, the way that Cassidy introduces each of them as the reader is meeting them is coming up with the reason that they are worth saving. Um, and so even, you know, there's characters who seem like they're maybe not as likable as others. And she tries to always see, okay, well, he's worth saving because he's an EMT um, or he's worth saving because he is a young child or Grace is a trauma therapist and she's helping other people. So. And I also think there's something about that, that even though she sees the danger in the world and maybe the darker sides of people, she also is always trying to find the positive and the light um, inside someone as well. So we we arrive at the house, we spend some time there, you know, we get introduced to all the characters. And then about 40 pages in, we shift from this first person narrative from Cass's point of view back to the story of the accident, which you tell backwards. Um, and you tell it from the point of view of different characters. Um, tell us about that decision to structure the narrative that way, because it's, you know, we we think we're just in a regular first person narrative, and then we go into this, this different kind of structure. Um, wh why did you choose that particular way of, of doing that flashback? Yeah. So um, structure is 
a really big thing for me when I'm writing a book. Um, usually I, I feel like I don't really have the story until I have the structure for it because I think you can tell the same story so many different ways and you reveal something different. So what was I trying to reveal and why am I telling this story in this way? And so when I began, um, I knew that there were seven characters and I was telling this over the course of a week and they had survived this seven hour ordeal. And I I knew from the start, and I always usually write only in first person. I've never done third person before. Um, and I knew I wanted to show flashbacks of what happened in the past. Um, and I thought I was going to show kind of the same event from each different character. And that's how I started um, presenting it, like the different perspectives and, and the way that the puzzle only comes together when everyone's piece clicks. Um, but when I started doing that, I realized, well, this is just giving a lot of the same information um, that we've gotten from a different character. And so I created a puzzle instead of each person has one hour. And when you piece that all together is when you get the full picture. Um, and it allowed me, I think, to just hone in on the big decision that each character either made or didn't make or the secret they knew um, to kind of bring them a little more to life. So once I had that idea of how to structure it, it became a little bit like a puzzle. I, I don't plot before I start, but I do a lot of plotting as I go and I use Excel spreadsheets. And so once I knew that it became, okay, which character is telling which hour um, and what are you going to reveal in that section that changes what you've learned from other characters before that. Um, and I wanted to move backwards in the past because you were working your way back to the why. Um, and exploring like how everything happened because of what came before. Um, and I felt like they added suspense in different ways because in the past, you know that they make it out. The seven characters are going to make it out. That's not kind of the, the tension or suspense. It's all those decisions that happened along the way, all the way back to the start. I'd also like the fact that, you know, we begin with this idea that there was a shared trauma mm -hmm. uh, and we have the sense that the reason these people are bound together is because they all had the same experience. But as we go through these hours, we realize they all had very <laughs> different experiences. So the reason for them being together becomes, uh, you know, a little more questionable. Right. Uh, so I, th I thought that was, that was fascinating. I, I mean, I think, I think it's fair to say that most of the characters in this novel probably wouldn't have any contact with each other 10 years after high school, if they hadn't gone through, that experience. And you've talked a little bit about how the trauma shaped um, Cass and her personality, but can you talk about how it sort of shapes the the dynamic of this group and, and relationships that would not have existed otherwise? Yes. So there are some people who probably just don't want to ever see each other ever again. And, you know, there, there was a couple who was um, together at this 10 years ago, and they have long since broken up. And yet every year they have to come back together um, because of the shared experience. Um, and there are other ones who, you know, they know things about one another, um, both in a way that I feel like makes the group feel more intimately connected than it is. Because even if they don't know the inner workings of your daily life, they don't know what you've been up to 
11 months and three weeks out of the year, in a way, they know your deepest fears. Um, and like you said, some of these characters were traumatized by what happened in a water. And there are characters who refuse to touch the water and they are at the beach. And you can kind of see these traumas playing out in front of one another. And um, some characters are very passive aggressive and are, are looking to kind of stir things up. And others are really trying to help one another and see each other through. But the question really becomes, whose idea is this to really keep coming together and why are we doing it? Like you said, is it because we're trying to keep each other safe or are we worried about something? Um, and it, it's a very tight knit group of people who don't really know that much about one another and are also afraid that there are subgroups within this group. Um, and again, people have been dying. So it kind of becomes like, are we coming together to see each other through or to be watched and to be checked up on? As somebody who is fascinated by language and by the different ways we can use the same words in the English language, I just, when you were saying that, I remember this one uh, point in the novel, I might not get the quote exactly right, but you said there was a question about, are we looking out for each other or are we looking out for oh, each yes. other? <laughs> you know? yes. I love to use exactly the same words to mean almost the opposite sentiment, you know, yes. uh, which is one of the great things about our language. I, I feel like one of the themes in this novel is just the inescapability of the past, no matter how they try, no matter, as you said, they each have a different strategy for dealing with this, but none of them are, are past it 10 years later and probably won't be past it ever in, in, in any real way. Um, are, are there, without being too personal, are there things in your past that, that, that bind you to the past in a way that this group is bound to the past? And, and was that sort of an essential thing you were trying to get at here? That's interesting. I mean, thankfully, I have not had any of the traumas that many of the characters in my books have had. Um, but I do think, I think it's more my writing journey that has made me think about it. And I think it's because I started writing thrillers about teenagers. And I was writing about these huge events that happened when they were 16 and 17 years old. And at the end of the book, would think to myself, well, they've made it through. The story's done. Um, and I always wrote standalone books. And you would say, like, I hope they are off and they've had a good life. And then, you know, people would ask me about, you know, there would be years later. And, you know, have you thought about writing a sequel? Well, no, because then you have to put them back into like a traumatic situation um, because I write thrillers where scary things keep happening to people. But it made me wonder, like, how are these characters doing and how much has it really impacted who they've become? Is it something they have tried to leave behind and have crafted their, you know, a new persona? Is it something that um, has impacted them in a way that they've sort of embraced it and used it to become who they were? Um, and then it sort of morphed into like, because I write thrillers, how does the past come back? Um, and always has a grip on you. And I think that's a theme of pretty much every adult book I've written is the past returning and how it impacts the people we become. And so I think it's it's less about my personal experience than the things I've written about. Although my first book for adults, um, All the Missing Girls, 
is um, I kind of got the idea as I was driving home. Um, I grew up in New Jersey and I would take that drive home and you could almost see flashes of your past as you were going. Um, and like you could almost feel yourself reverting to the person you used to be. Um, when you're going to see people who only knew you when you were up until the point you were 18. Um, so I think a lot about that, how there are different versions of ourselves who live inside and, you know, are they still there? Do, do different people have different relationships with like a different version of you? Um, and I just kind of throw all those ideas into like a pressure cooker um, <laughs> and a thriller and see what happens. Yeah. I think there's there's a truth about reunions that's captured here in, in this novel. There's sort of the awkwardness, the sense of being around people that we both know and don't know. Um, talk a little bit about that, that dynamic of the reunion and why that was something you wanted to kind of delve into. Yeah. So I, um, when I started this book, I, I had like this inspiration point that happened and I knew it was going to take place, um, on you know an isolated beach and i wanted it to kind of have to do with like a group of people who were connected in in a way with the past and the present and how and i started thinking like who would be at a house like this like i've been to a house in the outer banks with my extended family and it was so much fun and i was like okay well you know a group of friends or a group of family like that that would be nice and there would be all these things you knew about one another um and then I thought, oh, it's going to be a reunion that absolutely nobody wants to be at. Mm -hmm. um, and I just thought there's so much you could hide within that because it's a reunion where you knew a version of one another, like we were saying, but you don't really know the person standing in front of you anymore um, in a different way than setting a book with like family or friends that you see all the time. Um, this seemed a little bit like a way that you could hide secrets. But also, I think there's something that really strongly connects you to a group of people who know you when you're growing up and kind of have seen you through that transition of, you know, through adolescence, becoming an adult and have maybe seen different sides of you than people who only have known you in adulthood. Um, and I just think there's a lot of interesting dynamic you can play with in a reunion. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cass talks about her fear that quote, something is coming for us all. And, you know, they're at the beach. There's a storm brewing. There's a lot of beach things. They go out into the water. I, to me, I was constantly summoning up John Irving's Undertoad, you know, from The World According to Garp. I don't know if you know that, that uh, recurring theme in that novel. But how do you build a sense of dread in the reader, especially when we're in a situation that on the face of it seems pretty innocent. Some people, I mean, yes, they went through a difficult time, but they're just here to support each other, people who knew each other in high school. But how do, how do you build that sense of dread and create that, that atmosphere that lets us know that we are in a thriller? Yeah. So just like we were talking about with setting that they can, you know, be both beautiful and terrifying. To me, when a character is afraid, everything takes on an element of danger. And so I really try to lean into that. And whether that fear is justified or whether it's paranoia, um, she, the, the main character believes it. And so she's seeing danger in things that on the surface 
are more benign, maybe, but you can see this potential for danger in it. And because this is a group of people who have all been through like the worst thing that could happen, they all see that potential in the everyday um, and the potential inside other people as well. So, you know, they, um, you know, two characters go into the water and there are, are people like standing at attention, like always trying to have an eye on where they are because how easy it is in their mind for someone to slip under the water and disappear. And so just to have those thoughts and those feelings of dread um, coming from the main character, I think amplifies that tension and the possibility for the reader. And then things do start happening. Um, and so that fear seems justified and everything kind of seems a little more dangerous. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, re a reader comes to a novel with certain expectations. Um, so they've, they know you as a writer. So they're maybe expecting a thriller. They see this artwork on the cover. That's <laughs> not the artwork that you see of a, you know, a rom-com exactly. Right. And then, then there's this, this issue, which I always wonder about is that, you know, as a writer, you want your your reader to sort of experience the book in in a vacuum, to, to not know anything about it and to start with the first sentence and go to the last sentence. But in reality, you know they're going to look at the dust jacket. They're going to read the back cover and the front flap that tells you something about, about the situation. And they're going to know from the artwork that you're writing a thriller. How do you, can you talk about the sort of the conflict between holding back and letting on and knowing, you know, whether or not you are writing with the expectation that the reader has read the dust jacket, and and do you lean into that? Do you try to subvert it? How, what? How does that relationship work? That is a really good question. Yeah, because you think about like the package or the way something's presented. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, as you were talking, I thought about um, somebody who had read a book of mine, All the Missing Girls Moves in Reverse, and she had not read the dust jacket um first and it was very disorienting i think for the first few chapters because she didn't realize it was going to be moving in reverse um that it was a story told in reverse so i i do think about like there is something about the structure on the jacket here and it says seven days in the present seven hours in the past seven survivors remaining and to me that's like a tip off of what the experience will be like without giving too many details away. Um, it's funny because like me as a reader, I don't like to read too much about summaries. Like yeah. I sometimes I like to like, okay, I see the tagline, I see the cover, I read the first sentence and just kind of like to get swept up in it. Um, but I also like to think, you know, even if you know the premise or even if you know what happens, like pretty far in, I still think for me as a reader, like the journey is still worth it. And that's what I try to think about as a writer. Like, even if you know what's about to happen, does the journey make it worth it still? And so I, I really don't try to structure a thriller on like a, a single reveal or a twist, but the, the little surprises along the way that probably don't make it into the summary. Um, and it is kind of like we were talking about, okay, how do we how do we talk about this book? How far do you go in? Um, I think I give enough to to tell you who the character is and to to tell you what the maybe that first turning point is. Um, but I hope after that everything is a little bit of a surprise. 
Yeah, I've just always found that interesting in the yeah. in writing thrillers. And my most recent book was a thriller too about you know how do we how do we keep the secrets but still sell the book? You know, right, that's, right. that's the balance between the editorial side and the marketing side. Yeah. Um, there's a point at which Cass says, uh, "Maybe I was just reading too much into offhand comments, finding mm -hmm. hidden layers of meaning where there were none." How aware of you are you as you're writing? that that is exactly what readers do. <laughs> we, we are constantly looking for offhand comments that have hidden meaning. Um, do you, you know, or is that something you're thinking about it? Do you, do you lean into that? <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that because I didn't make the connection when I was writing that line, but it is entirely how I read as yeah, well. Yeah. Because I'm always, why did they say that on page 13, line three? What does it mean? It must mean, mean something. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think there's always elements of, um, not that I am like my main characters, but there's things you draw on that you're familiar with to put into main characters. So I, I do think maybe that's something I put into Cassidy that she's always kind of looking like, what's the meaning underneath this? Like, I always think there's a mystery happening, even when it's like completely a normal situation. Um, but um, yeah, I think that totally goes hand in hand with how we read mysteries and thrillers. I just, I love that line. Yeah. Well, we like to end every episode of Inside the Writer's Studio with the same 10 questions. You should be able to answer each of them in just a few words, but hopefully they'll give us some insight into you and into your writing. So if you're ready, we will begin. Okay. What word do you love to work into your writing? Honestly, it depends on the book. I'm usually trying to work in something that goes with the setting. So in this book, there were a lot of terms that went with water and undertow and tides. Um, and in my new one, it's about a lake and there's a lot of words that go along with that type of atmosphere. What word do you hate to encounter in other people's writing? I don't think I have a pet peeve. I'm really bad at this 10 question thing. Oh, that's okay. You don't have to have a pet peeve. <laughs> Where's your favorite place to write? My favorite place to write is my backyard, though I'm usually writing in my office because I'm more productive. <laughs> Where could you never write? On an airplane, because I feel like people are always looking over my shoulder. <laughs> to what rule of grammar do you pay least attention? Sentence fragments. <laughs> what was the first book you remember reading? On my own, probably a Nancy Drew book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, what are you reading now? I am, I just finished Wendy Walker's What Remains. What book would you like to have written? I feel like every book is so particular to every author, but I so admire the game changer of Gone Girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, what sort of book would you like to write, but probably never will? Um. My kids are um, almost out of high school now, but when they were in middle school, I was reading a lot of middle grade fantasy with them and loved it. Um, but that, I don't think I could do that world building, but I always had in my mind, like maybe, because I just love falling into those worlds. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, what would you like to hear a reader tell you? That they connected with my story. I mean, I think that's why, you know, you I always would read a book and just feel more connected because someone else was thinking about the same things or whether they're connecting for entertainment. This has been Inside the Writer's Studio. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and my guest today has been Megan Miranda, whose novel, The Only Survivors, will be featured at the Bookmarks Festival of Books and Authors in Winston-Salem on September 23rd. Megan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me.
Inside the Writer's Studio is sponsored by Bookmarks, a literary nonprofit that runs the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas and operates a community gathering place and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. To find out more about Bookmarks and all its programs, visit www.bookmarksnc.org. Inside the Writer's Studio is proud to be affiliated with Libro FM. Unlike other audiobook platforms, Libro FM supports your local independent bookstore. Whether you buy a single book or, like me, a monthly subscription, you can link your account to your local store or to Bookmarks to support literary community. For a special two-for-one offer, go to Libro.fm and use the discount code WRITERS. If you've enjoyed Inside the Writer's Studio, please consider leaving a rating or review online at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside the Writer's Studio posts new episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month. On Saturday, September 23rd, I'll be at the Bookmarks Festival in Winston-Salem, so be sure to come downtown for free events with over 50 authors. And I'll have another festival author on our next episode. Until then, thanks for listening, and may you read with wonder and write with passion. (laughs) 